One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's a small bit of a needle there. Now, come on, Mayo, you've got to get Andy Moran into the game. Our mission was to show that we're no longer the whipping boys of Munster. Hello and welcome to a special Irish Examiner GAA podcast. I'm Tony Lean. By any metric, Paul Galvin is an interesting, intriguing subject for a chat when he's in the mood. A short while back, I caught up, and I mean caught up as we hadn't chatted in ages, with the former Footballer of the Year from Kerry. There wasn't shape or structure like the best of conversations. We went from Cullum Cooper to Kieran McGeaney, from the school classroom to the English language, from David Clifford to Mayo, from playing to coaching and managing. He might have expected me to ask first what happened his short managerial career in Wexford so trying and failing to throw him off I asked him who he'd prefer to buy in the transfer market Declan O'Sullivan or Seamus Moynihan enjoy that's a nice opener for you know fair play to you make it nice and, <laughs> make, it ni- make it nice and difficult for me yeah uh, I, I, I don't know it would depend on the shape Tony I suppose and what my options are and what my needs are as a manager I, I I'd find it very hard to split the boys now from the point of view of ability and leadership. And I'm good friends with both of them, so I think I might, I think I might not. Okay, I so think who, I, might, I might not. Who did you least like playing against? Well, I actually, funny enough, didn't play against Seamus very often. I'd say once ever. It was a county final in 1999. Mm. And he was East Kerry, I was Field Rangers. We did actually have a bit of a run in that same day too, a little bit of a set too. That there's a surprise. Yeah, but he he was the man at the time for East Kerry. They were going for three in a row. I only played against him once. I actually played against Declan. I would say more county final in 2007. Actually, me and Declan had a run in that day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think about it. He was a fine, spiky man on the field, Declan. He, myself, and him I had a serious. We had a serious conversation going on in the tunnel at halftime, the two of us, that same day of the county final in 2007. And I'll tell you now, there was no language used, but the points were being made very crisply and very clearly. And uh, <laughs> neither were in any doubt as to who was going to win the game. Um, but uh, so, look at, you know what, huge leaders, two of my closer, two of the guys I'd be closer to probably in terms of the carry ranks, like... Um, you know, I thought body language-wise, the two of them on the field, their their body language used to speak a lot for them. You know, not the most vocal either, really. Like, you know, Shamo was not the most vocal. Declan, not the most vocal. But, but, but you knew when they were on, their body language, you know, the heads were up, the shoulders were, the shoulders were back. And their body language used to lead for them, I felt. And uh, that was a, the brilliant thing about playing with them. I, I played with Declan more than I played with Seamus. Like, I came up with Seamus, like we'll say, Travelled to training with Johnny Crowley, Declan O'Keefe. So I was kind of introduced to Kerry with that crop of Shamo, Hassett, Eamon Fitz, Canada, Crowley. Unbelievable education for me, like to just observe. And I was a complete sponge back then. So 
I came up with Chemo, but probably didn't get to play enough for him, really. I only played, I think, two years, maybe three years with Chemo, probably my whole career with Declan. So, so I've done a great mm. job of do- I've done a great job of dodging this question, answering this question, haven't I? You, you have. Tell me, body language is something that I think is very important. You can read an awful lot into body language. I mean, I even remember from your own playing career, you had a very strong kind of a like, I'm here to play, don't mess with me. Yeah, I'm a big believer in it, Tony, and I think your personal energy, like, I'm a just big, big believer in, in energy and personal energy, and I think you'll see a lot from a player, and you can find out a lot about a player when he's off the ball rather than on the ball, and, you know, his language before the ball is thrown in, body language can tell you an awful lot about a guy. Uh, mm. So I'd be a big believer in it, and I'd look for it. I'd look, I'd look for it a lot. I'd look for... It's very informative, I find, and it's often very accurate as well in terms of guiding you as regards what a player might be like or not be like. But uh, as regards my own body language, look, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it was something I was conscious of. All right, as a player, I think probably there were times when my body language then wasn't wasn't great as well at times. And you know, I think it does feed performance. Like you've got to be you've got to be honest. Like in your body, I always felt getting to my position before a game. I always made sure my body language was good. And I, right. I try to get to my position before my man as well, and I like to be there in in the in my spot and 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 just own own that bit of territory if you can. Small thing, but yeah, I, I yeah. big in it, big into it, and I'm still big into it. You mean like say if you're if you're wearing ten, like you jog over over to the Cusack stand side, you want to be there first, like yeah, this is me, like this is my area. Yeah, a little, a little of that for a time. Early in my career, more so. I didn't, yeah, okay. I, I, you kind of move on from it. Like, you you know, there's energies. You look for energy in different places and edges in different places. Certainly early on, that was a thing for me. You probably can never lean on these things to, to, for, forever. You know, it's like any system. It's a bit like, it's a bit like you know, it's like any system. Any a system or an, it can make you, but eventually it can break you as well. So you wouldn't mind leaning on it forever, but I did for a time, for sure. Yeah, I mean, intim- you know, intimidation, Paul, is a big word. And, you know, everybody kind of thinks when they think of intimidation on the pitch, they think of sledging and they think of threats like. But over the course of anyone's career, and I'm thinking of you now, you know, as you became a, a not a senior citizen, but a very established intercounty player and a footballer of the year. Can you actually intimidate then by reputation as well of past deeds? Uh I suppose I don't know, Tony. I suppose like you look at you look at say someone like Seamus Moynihan, who I always felt was brilliant at if he needed to impose himself, brilliant to impose himself in a very physical, fair way with his body. You know, he was always very good to kind of if anything happened that he felt he needed to start out, he was always able to do it fairly. Right. <laughs> it's, a form, it's a form of intimidation in itself, like you know. Uh, that is, I felt was a great skill in a fella to be able to actually see something that you didn't like and wait and and start it by by kind of you know start it by patience you know eventually you'll do it like and i suppose uh i don't know what accounts for this what it accounted for for me i don't know Tony. you'd have to ask opponents like i suppose you you become aware i suppose at a certain point that you're, you you've won a good bit and you haven't lost too much like there was a point in my career early on where we didn't last the whole lot for the first five or six years we barely we lost two or three games that certainly I began to kind of believe in that. And mm. I think it does get into you. I think it does get into you. Like you look at the dubs at the moment, like, I mean, thinking about Dean Rock the other day, like 
saw him play there over the last week or two on a TG Carr quarter final against Tyrone in 2013, which I think was his first year, kicked two winning points off the bench, like two huge points. And like I was thinking about him recently. I don't he's barely lost a game in his career. I think League and yeah. Championship, he is not he has not lost too many games. And I'm fairly sure he feels that every time he goes out in the field. There's not a whole lot you have to say or do when you kind of get on that winning streak. Your mm. reputation may, your team may go before you and teams may say, Jesus, these don't lose too many, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, I suppose the reason I, I'm asking and I'm addressing it is like at the peak of your playing career, which I would reckon was probably, you know, 2009 to 2012, that area, like, I mean, you had been a mark, Paul, do you know what I mean? Like the whole Noel O'Leary thing, or you can get to Galvin. And now you addressed that very well in your book. Like you thought, like, you know what? It was an insult to both myself and Noel. And I think over the course of time, and maybe you'll correct that, from being that kind of pantomime villain, he actually, there was a kind of a mutual respect for your football and your competitiveness between you at the end. Would that be fair? Ah, yeah, no, look, I, I, I understood it for what it was at the time. Like, I, I was going about my business a certain way, Tony, early on in my career. And, I, I, you know, witnessing the 2001 Mead game, the 2002 Armagh game, and the 2003 Tyrone game told me there was a way that you had to go about your business, especially in the middle part of the field. And I did that. And, of course, when you're that physical and aggressive and on the line, and I always say contact brings conflict. And I was not a big man to be tackling for breaks in the middle of the field with the McGrains and the McGinnies and the... Oh, the the Galway boys were huge. Kieran Wheel and Dublin was huge. These were huge guys. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I was five five eleven and twelve and twelve and a half stone. Not a big guy in that area of the field, really. But you had to be super physical and aggressive. And I always say, con- contact brings conflict. And if I mm-hmm. was going in around trying to, that's why I worked so hard on my arms because like arm strength in that area of the field was was massive. And you had to be aggressive. And but being aggressive, then you left yourself open to kind of. You know, people pick up on it and they say, you know, try him. And, you know, so I understood the thing for a while with Cork and Noel and that. But I think in the end, it was just a bit, I think in the end, it just, I don't know, it was a bit like we were the entertainment here on the, on the side of the field, kind of, while the game was going on, you know, which I felt. And I also felt that O'Leary had more to offer. I probably had, had more problem. I'd have had more bother with him had he been maybe going up the field looking for a score or getting on the end of things. I think that's a hard trick for a half mm-hmm. forward. Like I remember Declan Meehan early in my career and it's kind of a kick-out landing and it's ha- half an eye on the breakdown and half an eye on Meehan and it's very distracting to commit to a break when you have someone like Meehan around you. Uh, but like, I just thought, you know, it was that bit of panto on the end and I thought like... But he got a very nice text. I remember he got a very nice text on the train down from the 2010 All-Ireland final when Cork had actually won. Uh, they kind of, that team had finally got over the line and um, you texted them that day. Yeah, I did. I did. That, that came to light. All right, yeah. I, yeah. I, well, I think it goes back to the previous year after the All-Ireland final. The previous year, 2009, we had been probably, that rivalry was at its peak at the time, nine and ten and after ten it kind of fizzled out but nine was a real peak of that rivalry between Kerry and Cork and we beat them in the final that year and actually his mother was very gracious after she came up to me in the players lounge and I thought it was a real touch of class by her she congratulated me asked me about my family asked me about my mother <laughs> she made a funny comment like she said you know Jesus your poor mother and she was kind of shaking her head as much as to say poor old me too <laughs> look at it you two look at it you two flutes hopping off each other but she, she, she knew the feeling. She sympathised with my mother because I think she, she was, you know, she understood. Not too many could empathise with my mom and Noel's mom at the time. But um, 
she did that and I thought it was a great touch and I just that's why I did it the following year because you know look, they're, they're good people country people and uh, I know unfortunately no lost his dad of late as well which is very sad you know people to bereavements this time during the current bloody pandemic is is tough so good folk no more, no more than ourselves country people down to our country people so mm. I'd have a lot of, I'd have a lot of time for him and I'd have a lot of time for him as well uh, the, the, the thing was Tony it became very instructive for me as a footballer and later when I went into coaching I had a bit of coaching done at the time with the Sam but we'll say even now when I look at teams we'll say the one and one stuff the man marking stuff it, it's the one that we'll say back then we knew Cork would do it we knew their setup. they go man for man especially with me he'd come with me and even if one player in defence goes one for one it's very hard to it's very hard to have a defensive system as such if even one player goes man on man to the death like you, you know. And I, my takeaway was we had to talk about it amongst ourselves. We'd say, well, he's going to come with me all the way. There's going to be spacing behind me. If I go here, you go there. And Cork gave up loads of one-on-ones. Like we did, you think of all the games we played, it was one-on-one everywhere. So if I wasn't getting the ball that was going over my head, I would take Noel to certain areas. The ball would bypass me a lot. But then Gooch is one-on-one, Declan is one-on-one, Darren is one-on-one, Star is one-on-one. I, you know, to me, you can't do that. You can't go one on one to the letter of the law to the death. Like you have to know when to come out of it, because you have a teammate that's going to need you. You have a, you have a guy inside that's going to need you to cover or, or double up mm. or whatever. And you see it in the moment. You see it in the modern game, like probably the Ireland final last year, the drawn game. Probably both Ireland's finals last year. I thought it was very significant that Kerry very much went one for one, man for man. Dublin didn't, and I think. I think it was decisive in the end because you look at a couple of goals, Jack McCaffrey's goal and, and, and Merchant's goal probably came about as much as, probably came about as a result of man-for-man defending as much as anything else. And I think it's very mm-hmm. smart. If you look at Kerry Monaghan this year, I think it's a great sign of Kerry actually to, to see that they may look at dropping guys and dropping everybody. Like you see Dave Clifford at times was back and I think that's a great sign of Kerry's adaptation. But mm-hmm. I do think one-on-one defence, like you... you, you it's effective, but you have to know when to come out of it. You have to know when you're gone down the rabbit hole and you can't help anybody else around you. Your man's not a threat and you're just, you're nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I was thinking, Paul, as well? Um, you missed out on Pio. You missed out on Pardy just like, you came in at the start of 2004 and, of course, Pardy had just gone. And I would imagine he was the type of character, I don't know, did you socialise? you ever had a few points with him? But, I mean, he, I'd say you would have actually loved playing with him. But well, I did have a year and a half. I did have a half a year. I had two kind of half years on the panel with Paddy. Like to be fair, right. I made my debut with Paddy, and and you know something, I'm not even sure. I still to this day I'm not sure when or where I made my debut. But I actually think it might might have been in Ryslip against London. Might have been my first minutes for Kerry. Right. I did play a bit under him. I I, I my first start was under him. Above him, my first start was up was under Paddy up in Bally Shannon against Donegal. Played wing back. And uh, you know, played wing forward, and so I had time with him. Would have loved to have made been one of his guys, and I always say that would have loved to have been one of his main men. But I was I was too young, and I, I wasn't ready, really and truly. But he did try to get you know he did give me a couple of chances, and so I suppose I owe him my I owe my debut to him for sure. And mm. I would have loved I would have loved more time with him and under him. I do, I do vividly recall, I have vivid memories of his, that the, the, the animal spirit that he, that he possessed in, in full flow was a, such an unbelievable sight to behold, I, I, I swear. 
but it was always switched on sensible stuff. But when I've never seen a man before or since in a dressing room to go and light light a dressing room up. I remember playing Claire in a challenge game around summer of 02, April or May 02. And I'll tell you, I don't remember much about the game itself, but it can't have gone too well <laughs> for the dressing down party, party uh, administered in the dressing room after. It was yeah. a, major, a major dressing down. And he obviously, like, you know, in hindsight, I think back to it, and only recently I was thinking back to it, and he obviously saw things in the challenge game he didn't like. And, and wow, it was... I was I was waiting for like light bulbs to shatter, but it also but it also made sense and it was also relevant and pointed and he just saw things in the game that displeased him and this was May time because I remember it was coming into championship and it was the time of year and he spoke about the cuckoo calling it was around the time the cuckoo was calling and there was a few cuckoos calling in the dressing room as well that that evening in Ennis I'll tell you that yeah. so I had, yeah. I did see him in action and I did have a bit of time with him not enough for my life and I would have loved to have one in Ireland with him for instance but. Uh, to be fair to Paddy, he did try, he did, he did give me a chance or two. I probably don't know whether I took him or not, I don't know whether I was ready or, more, or mature enough. I don't know back then. I got a bad, bad shoulder injury around the time he first brought me in that I, yeah, cost me a bit of time with him. I, yeah, because you, you and I both know, I was sitting with Tomas uh, in the car one night, Paul. Uh, it must have been around the time, actually, I think Tomas kind of announced his retirement from playing and we were talking about and he was saying like how much he owed to P.O. and he says to me Jesus Tony I actually think he's the greatest uh, Kerryman I ever knew and I kind of thought to myself you know okay well you're his nephew and all that kind of stuff and but I understand more maybe a number of years later what he actually meant by that Paul in terms of you know and then you're the same and that's the reason I bring it up like just in terms of knowing where you come from and loving where you come from and loving to represent where you come from that is something I think that the two of you share that's why I was just wondering and disappointed that as you said maybe you didn't once you started moving into the peak of your career get to work with him yeah yeah and I understand exactly what you mean like I think he was a symbol of Kerry and I remember his passing very well Eamon Fitz rang me uh, I was in Dublin and you feel those ones and I felt Timmy Kennelly's and I felt John Egan's and then I felt John B. Keane's and I felt Weishi's. Yeah. You know, these are people, important people, symbols of Kerry culture and symbols of who we are and like great people that I think the county is the lesser. The county loses a bit. Kerry loses a bit of its sheen and a bit of its power, I feel, when these people move on, you know. And, uh, you know, I would have loved, uh, I would have loved to have been more a part of that story, but it was just timing and it was my age and a great yeah. Kerry side as well back around 02. You know, you were talking about most of those guys, 97 All-Ireland and 2000 All-Ireland, 2001 semi-final. And I was in there in 2002 until around May time when I did, I hurt my ankle and that was, that was the end of 2002. But I was there for all, all of 03 mm. with Paddy. I was actually not far from Paddy when he got the clatter on the sideline. Uh, right. against Tyrone and I felt yeah it was an unbelievable game it was an unbelievable t actually it was a huge education for me that whole day because I was not far from the famous scene of the tackle all that intense tackling that Tyrone put on Kerry mm. I was actually very close to that I was close to party getting the hit and you know it was if 22 or whatever I was you're you're a product. You're all you're a product of kind of your experiences. Like, and I saw this game unfold, and I thought, this is a, this is a this is a new game. It's a new game. Mm -hmm. It's a new way of playing football, and it was great. It, it suited me down to the ground. But 
it also gives you the feeling that I'm not sure where the rules are here anymore, you know, out in the field. And I'm not sure if there's any limits to the physicality very much anymore. And the, the physicality has gone to a new place. And I do think that day was a big part for me in terms of my education, if you call it education of the game. I thought the thing with Paulie was awful. I really took that poorly to have a man, you know, everything he has done to get that, to get that clout was, mm. I just said like, it was a mad day. It was a totally mad day all around, really, and uh, that kind of summed it mm. up. Kind of, I knew you, Paul, before I knew you, if you know what I mean, in that, like, even in Kerry, and, I mean, I'm a good 12 years older than you now, but, like, we had heard of Paul Galvin coming up, you know, and we had heard about this, and it was mainly actually through UCC, to your exploits through UCC, but, you know, one of the things that always attached to Paul Galvin was, oh, he's stone mad. He's stone mad when he goes on the field. Was that an act or was that just, that was you? You know, the, you know, Tom Ahern, a friend of mine used to call it white line fever. It's like when a fella goes across the white line, like he just becomes somebody else and something else. The Paul Galvin now, looking back at the Paul Galvin then, like characterise him. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I struggle with that. Whole, I was only last night. It's funny you asked that question because it was only last night. I was thinking about this. You see, sometimes these publishers online, oh, they ask an athlete to t write a letter to their young self or whatever, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. And I never, I could never understand it. Like, I was like, oh, I wouldn't know how to say to myself. And I, I actually don't understand the idea of writing to that 10-year-old person that you were. So, um, I would have characterized myself. I, I, I don't know, Tony, even today. I don't even know how to characterize myself. I, I, I suppose it was just... It was just part of my personality to compete. Very competitive when I was very young. Would often cry if I lost. Uh, very regularly cry if I lost, actually, from when I was mm. quite young. And that could be anything. I remember playing with Listowel Celtic under 12s, a tournament with Listowel Celtic under 10 or under 12, and not winning it and being crying on the bus on the way home. And I, I, I had a just an, a this competitiveness that was in me and it was there and I never considered that what I was doing on the field was was mad as such like you know I, I had a lot of energy as well and I and I I just found there was yeah I, I, I just found the competitive thing even still even still it gets the better of me at times you know I, I I find I get too too involved probably and too too consumed by the competitive element even of management at times, uh, you know, it was all-consuming to the point mm. where you just think it's probably, there must be an easier way or a better way to compete, mm. more comfortable way to compete. But I would only describe it as when I was younger, being very competitive and mm. and obviously a little, a little ill-disciplined as well uh, at times. But... Um, but I, I loved it, like I loved it. I knew no other way, Tony. I knew no other way to, to only to go try and try to win because winning was absolutely everything and losing was awful. And and it was a fear of losing really more so than uh, uh, wanting to win things, I think, because from when I was young, I had an, an awful dread of losing. Mm. Mm. See, I think there's, in your defence, uh, uh, you know, this phrase, he played on the edge. I don't think you can manufacture that, Paul. You know what I mean? You can't manufacture 
bringing yourself to the edge. It isn't a flick switch kind of a thing. And I recall even, you mightn't even recall this, but you play, I'd say it was in your very first season with Kerry. Kerry played Armagh. Do you remember inside in Tralee? And you were like just on the edge all that. In actual fact, many years later, I think it was actually at Moss's book launch, I met Kieran McGeaney and we were actually talking about you. And I remember he was saying that day, he was kind of going round to Kerry fellas like, Who, who's this fella like? You know, I think it must have been, I'd say it was, must have been in your first two or three games with Kerry, was it? Uh, that would have been, I'd say, the league 2003. Yeah. Because Armagh had won the All-Ireland. I had watched the All-Ireland 2002 final. Took it badly, like, you know. Mm. I took all those games badly. The 2001 Mead game, I was in the Cusick stand for that semi-final. A real destruction. This is what I was trying to say earlier about the 03 game. You can't take the 03 game against Tyrone in isolation because my my in, my introduction to Kerry senior football was was at Hill 16 for the 2000 final against Galway, both of them, roaring my head off. 2001, I was in the Cusick stand beside my cousin from America watching me take Kerry apart. 2002, I was in the squad, got an injury, missed out, watched the 02 final at home, got it. And 2003, I was in the squad on the sideline for the Tyrone game. Three mm. bad days for Kerry. And the physicality is what stuck out for me in terms of those three games. Mead 01, Armagh 02, Tyrone 03. Highly physical. Kerry didn't look able for it physically. So that day, 03, I'm sure that was the league 03 in Tralee. Yeah. And McGinney was the guy in the country that I, I probably admired alongside uh, Michael Donlan. Uh, when I looked at those games, I thought, like, Donlan, a huge player, McGinney, a huge player, and McGinney was a leader for Armagh, and I, I, I just felt, I don't know, I, I hated seeing Shamo getting beaten, I hated seeing Dara's captain getting beaten, I hated seeing Eamon getting beaten, I just took those defeats badly as a supporter, that's really what that was about, and I suppose I did think around the middle of the field, like, for Dara to play, for Kerry to win, Dara needs to play, for Dara to play, there needs to be a bit of I suppose so, not sort no, but you need to clear the decks for a, you need to clear the decks for a fella if you can and impose yeah. yourself if you can, and that was probably it with with, with Geezer. Like I, I admired Geezer, but I knew that for Kerry to get anywhere, we had to start to tackle the likes of Geezer. I think was what that was basically, and I remember it well. And I knew I knew I was, but it was me trying to it was me trying to make it in the game too, probably, and saying, Do you know, I'm. Mm. We're, we're here now, Kerry, you're here now, kind of thing. I, I think that's what it was. But um. mm. We'll go back, we'll go back, Paul, to Kerry in a while. Um, bring me right up to speed and to date, because it's now um, a different Paul Galvin, or maybe it's not a different Paul Galvin, because as you say yourself, you still take losing very badly, which, <laughs> like, the Wexford thing, there was an awful lot of people looking at the Wexford thing because Paul Galvin going in as manager, and I say this straight to your face, like kind of put it on the map for a lot of people we'll say outside the immediate area of Leinster all of a sudden now people were were looking out for Wexford's results in the league and so therefore it was not as much sorry it was not just with a sense of surprise that we heard that you'd left but almost a sense of disappointment because I really knowing you as I do for a long time I was really looking forward to seeing because you threw yourself in at the deep end Paul with Wexford and I just guess I'm disappointed that you didn't get to kind of get a championship under your belt. So, like, give me a sense of what it was like and what happened. 
Yeah, you know, you and me both. I'm disappointed too. Very disappointed. I've missed it. I, I, I feel a loss from it, to be honest with you. Mm. I feel like a creative loss because I saw it as a creative project almost, to be honest with you. And and I'm, I'm still disappointed, really. You know, I, I suppose, look, I was four or five years out of the game, Tony. I watched the game very closely. I had had... I had a number of, uh, of offers from Dublin clubs, living in Dublin on the Wexford Road. A number of offers from Dublin clubs. I had an offer from a couple of inter-county setups. One, one of them was Kieran Dealey over in London, which I found a very interesting project. Project, mm. uh, that's, that's the word I don't use very often now, but London is probably a project, if anything is. And he invited me, he asked me to join him in London, which I wasn't able to do in 2019, but I did go over. And I, I think I did, I did, but I, I got observed a couple of sessions fascinating experience to witness and to live the London football uh, culture and the experience of being a London player. I went and got the tube, got the tube from central London out to Greenford, jumped off the tube out of the station across the road, up a motorway, slip slip road off a motorway, over a crash barrier, into a field, across a field, over a ditch, in the back, <laughs> in the back of Tier Connell Gales' pitch. Honestly, you know, fantastic experience. They were training loads of teams around them, London senior and county team, loads of underage teams around them. Actually, before the session, we were in the back room and the boys were getting ready, the back room team were getting ready with the old data packs and wasn't there a funeral in the bar next door? A funeral and a big sing song. <laughs> a big sing song from a funeral next door. Like, and all these players were coming out to prepare for training. And um, I think it was a maybe a member of the travelling community that had, that had passed away. And it was a big uh, sing song. And, you know, it was just a very rich experience from my point of view. I would have a great, real grow for London football because of my friends over there and because I love the culture of London town. And uh, so, so I, I, I haven't been there with London and been at those few sessions. I watched a lot of Division 4 last year, loads of it. I watched every team in Division 4 in 2019. Great division of football, Tony. Great division of football. Grossly, in my opinion, underreported upon, grossly underappreciated. Actually, I actually find it really, really interesting in 2019, and even more interesting in 2020. The amount mm. of risk taking, the amount of risk taking happening in Division Four, Tony, may be far the underreporting. You know, you see managers trying things. Honestly, a couple of times this year, I was smiling. I was watching games through my fingers, honestly, because we were trying so much because no one was watching. Really, I think, you know, there is you. you a couple of dozen people and then no reporting on it either really by you know and in the general sense it's yeah you know you you, you hear about this the women's football which i'm a huge supporter of an advocate of and can't see it can't be it it's a big thing and i believe in it and i believe they deserve more but i also believe i also believe division four footballers deserve a bit more um what would i say yeah i, I backlight profile yeah, absolutely, Tony. Help, support, uh, ideas, uh, energy, time. I, I, I honestly, it was a huge motivation for me to go and do that. I'm a, I, I love Wexford football for a start, for its history, first and foremost. I read a lot yeah. about it. I'd experienced that division, and I felt they were a good prospect in that division for where they were at and where they could go and what they had done in the past, in the recent past, not just the distant past. Mm. And... Um, and the, 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 you know, I wasn't too far wrong. They were, they were right good ability down there. Really enjoyed it down there with them. So, yeah, I feel, I feel a little in between about it as well. Disappointed that it didn't come to something. You know what I mean? Happy mm. with what I did down there. They're in a good place. They're in a, they're in a very good place. And 
and, and good luck to them. I think they can do well. I just couldn't. I just from for from lots of reasons, Tony. I just feel my energy for it over the whole period of lockdown changed, and it became mm. it began to feel like an errand. And you know, I, our living situation. We we're in the west of Ireland now since the that lockdown. It just just so much changed, Tony, from the moment that I actually went for the interview because it was the interview I saw it more than the job, to be honest with you. And I and uh, just to present myself and present the. Few thoughts ahead on the game, and to get some feedback. Honestly, that was really the big motivation. And right. and you know, the chairman and I spoke about the manager's job. I felt I didn't. I be honest, quite honest with you. I didn't feel. I wanted the interview. I wasn't so keen on the job and the manager's job as such. I did say I would like to be a number two, and we spoke about that very frankly. The chairman and I, we couldn't really find the number one for me to be the number two. We did have a look at it and have a chat about it, and we just fought, did. We weren't able to find that right. That right um figurehead figurehead as such and and i wasn't afraid of taking the job as such you know just that's i had had presented my 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 few ideas and you know the i was keen to implement them as well I yeah was very keen, i was very keen to implement them and that's what swung it really the opportunity to go and try out x y and z on the basis of watching football for the last number of years, here are a couple of areas that I think should be attacked. And I attacked them. Yeah. And it's always said about somebody, well, no, sorry, it's not always said, but it is said sometimes of somebody who has played at an elite and has been successful at an elite level in a sport, that it's a frustrating experience to go back to, we'll say something in division four but by the sound of you you were kind of intrigued enough by the project that that was that a frustration or wasn't it no no not any not any bit not any bit because you can't take for granted first of all you can't take for granted that players will listen to you and come with you and believe in what you say and try Mm. the things you want to try so that's a reward in itself and you can't go down like i mean there was no point me going down thinking oh i played for Kerry now at a very high standard these fellas are at a division four standard so like clearly I, I, you couldn't go into it with that, with that kind of a mindset. Because no, I didn't find it. I didn't find that at all. I think I'll tell you what I found is a lot of ability down there. Right. A, a lot, a lot of football ability, and um, and then I was I was grateful that guys were open to the ideas and the kind of the going the direction we wanted to go. Because you have to outline a direction and 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 head there. Mm-hmm. And you have to have fellas, and you have to have fellas who understand it and, and and go with you. So it was very, it was way more rewarding than it was frustrating. What was frustrating was the layoff. I I, I found the layoff after a while. Mm. The layoff began to take the fun out of it, and it just my energy for it changed. And you know, for more for loads of reasons. Do you think you'd still be the manager if we hadn't had the coronavirus? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'd be, I'd still be there. If there was no coronavirus, I'd still be there. Probably, had the season been knocked on the head, I'd, I'd still be there. I think. Right. Um, but his, his inability, you know, there was a real, there was a real kind of paralysis to it. Like we couldn't. Can you remember, Paul, the day or the morning or the night where you actually woke up and said to Louise or said to yourself, 
you know what? I'm done. I'm done here in Wexford. It's just not. It's just wrong now for me. Where it was right six months ago, or five months ago, or four months ago. Can you remember that day when you actually came to that conclusion? Yeah, it was only like the previous night. Really, I said that's that. Now it's time to because I was heading off. Like I was in Mayo, and I was heading off, and the whole situation was getting very messy in Dublin, and it was into the car, head for Dublin. And when will you be back? Kind of thing, you know. And I, I, I don't really know when I'll be back. Yeah, it'll be, at least, it'll be at least a week. It could be a month. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that was that was it. Like and and, and you just say to yourself, you know, okay, I think it's time now to just do, you know, focus on other things. And I, I, I do think it's a local enterprise now as well. I do think an inter intercounty management is is a local enterprise, big time, more than it. Why do you say that? Why do you say that? Well, you see, like, how do you plan the thing? How do you plan out your season? How do you have your meetings in this circumstance? Being Even if oh, you're yeah. based in Dublin. Even if you're based in Dublin. Never mind being based in Mayo and Dublin kind of thing. Very hard to do your planning and have your meetings and your backroom stuff and sit down with your players and get to know them. And, you know, I do I do think you need to be on the ground probably in the county and, 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 and in amongst... You know, it's like the club model... I, I do think it's going to be hard for inter-county managers outside of the county to to operate in this current new new environment that we're in, you know? Yeah, yeah. And just finally, on, on, the, on the, the management thing, I mean, you know, you're still a young, very young man managerially, but, and, you know, I don't know what your plans are uh, in terms of the future, but the fact that you're in Mayo now, would that actually, so from what you're saying, Paul, dictate your kind of thought process if an offer did come along in the next six months, 12, 18 months? Um, I don't know. Do you know my question? Know. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. Like there's been offers. There's there's offers and there's been offers. And I, I, I don't know. It's very hard to commit to anything at the moment. How do you commit to what? Like, what are yeah. you committing to? You know, you've got a, I've got a professional life, a family life. I have a family in Kerry that I've seen. I count on one hand the amount of times I've seen my family in Kerry this year. Do you know? So, like, at club or county management, what are you committing to at the moment? You have no idea. Right now, I have no yeah. idea what next, se what next season looks like. So it's a very hard thing at the minute, like, and especially for someone starting out, I, I just don't think, I just don't think it's the right time, really. I'll see, I'll see, you know, uh, it was some of it now didn't do much for me, to be quite honest with you. Some of the experience didn't do much for me. Mm. In terms of... Just in terms of you know, going back to Noel and myself being the entertainment as players, uh, I do feel I do, I do feel I was I do feel I was um, the entertainment to an extent as well uh, as a manager slash coach. And you know I was awful slow to even describe myself as a manager because, and I said this at the start of the year, but it was taken a little bit out of context. But like I don't even regard myself as a manager. You can't regard yourself as a manager if you don't have a track record as a manager at that level do you know what I mean so I didn't even mm -hmm. see myself going in there as a manager Tommy I saw myself going in there with with, with some learnings from studying the game over four years uh, produ producing these in interview and saying if I think if you go here here and here do this this and this I think you'll improve this team I think you can achieve X Y and Z and that's how I went about it so I don't even think that's management as such obviously there's a management aspect that you have to tick those boxes with regard to man management and managing yourself and managing media which you know uh, yeah you, you've got to do those things but so there was parts of it that I just I, 
I I don't know what to say about. I'm still kind of processing some aspects of it, Tony. But I certainly for what for what I got from it, and I definitely would like to be swimming back at it in some shape or form. But you can't chase these things either. You can't chase them because if you chase them, you can get tripped. You can get tripped up. You know. When you went to Wexford, I suppose my my initial thought, Paul, or I suppose, and, and a lot of people's initial thoughts was. Oh God, the chemistry there between Davy Fitz and Paul Galvin, you know, I'm not so sure that that's going to work or like, so, I mean, how did that go or what was that an issue or, you know, anything like that? Uh, no, no, I don't have, I don't have anything. I don't have anything to say there, Tony, to be honest with you. I, 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 if I had anything to say on that, I'd say it to the man himself and I'd say it straight to him. But I, I, I don't, I don't want to do my dealings like that through, through, through media or whatever. So I don't have any, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> yeah. But, well, Paul, you're leaving, yeah, but you're leaving that hanging out there. That makes it say, that sounds to me like that. It wasn't a sweetheart no, relationship. No, not, not by any means, not by any means. No, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't bad by any means. Right. Because sometimes obviously when you have strong personalities, um, and I'm putting you in that category, and I'm putting him in that category. There's, there's, there's always friction. I've not dad Tony on any of that stuff. Because you, because let's face it, Wexford would be seen as a hurling county. So you were basically going in there. I won't say in a kind of a, a secondary thing, but like you were going in there under pressure from the off. Would that be fair? I didn't feel so. Did you not? I knew where exactly where I was going. Uh, I knew exactly what, what I was go, going into. Right. Okay. Good stuff. Question for you. I got a picture sent to me of your new motor from Fast Eddie <laughs> there uh, a couple of weeks ago. Lovely, uh, lovely uh, Q5, which in fairness, I know you like to do a lot of thinking in your travels, but it certainly softens the journey, I'd say, does it, from Mayo to Dublin and back? Yeah, I suppose it's a big part. Like you think back of Miko, like you know, you think back to Miko and all the time Miko spent driving. Miko's favorite hobby was driving. Yeah, and and it is a big part if you're in football. The car is a big part of your life, and especially if you're a coach or a manager, it's a big part of um, the job. Actually, being in the car because the place I go to make phone calls all the time. I I can make phone calls around people, so I have to be in the car a lot of the time to make phone calls. So it does. It's a beautiful car, and we've been in partnership with Audi Car for for seven or eight years now and uh you know it does make your travel and your family life your obviously uh, if you're driving as a coach or a manager it makes a big difference but it also makes a big difference to your family life and uh yeah they're a brand they're a business and they're brand, i have a lot of good friends in cork and cork's been very good to me even since my since i started out in college i got my education there i got my first job there and that partnership with Odie Cork has been has been great for a number of years. Like, and it's it's it, it does uh, it does it does make life easier. That's for sure. It makes journeys easier. And Dwyer, if, if you remember, I mean, I I got a spin home from Dwyer. Actually, I wrote about it one time. Jesus, it wouldn't happen now. Uh, Kerry, were, I'd say it was nineteen eighty three. Paul, I'd say I was only a, I was with the Kingdom. Do you remember at the time? Now and then in Killarney, and I was covering a game above in Newbridge. And against Kildare, and I'd no spin home. And I actually went up to Dwyer for the quotes afterwards. And I, I kind of said, Look, is there any chance of a spin home? Imagine asking that now, like, and 
No problem. Like he had Jerry O from Balance Skelligs in the front. He had Mikey Dear Madonahu from Legion, James's father, and myself in the back. Like, but he didn't drive muck either. By the way, if you remember, he was all Mercedes and BMW fights. I know, I know. Some great. There's some great old imagery of him actually when he had the garage that time. Yeah, he, he liked a good car, and uh, no, it is. It's the office for a manager and a coach. The car is the office for sure. And for me, it is. And I would have spent a lot of the first lockdown in my car. And I, 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 I became like another room in the house, you know. You, you, you said to me there, you, you recall your time in Cork very fondly. And, and I know you do. Um, but it's also, you remember, because if you were the least popular Kerryman in Cork, I wasn't probably too far behind you there for a while. Like, But you certainly went through a phase in Cork of being public enemy number one and you I remember Paul and you're not going to lie to me now like that was difficult at the time I know you look back at it now but at the time it was tough because you were kind of thinking to yourself look I'm just being me here why am I kind of victim number one or enemy number one here around this place uh yeah it was I suppose I don't know it was like you know Part of the rivalry was very intense rivalry at the time, and, and 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 I had my way on the field that was ruffling feathers. Like so, I mean, I'm not overly surprised that I was not flavoured a month in Cork for a while. <laughs> like you know, like Jimmy Dean was the one man who was quite pleased with it because he 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 said to me one time, he said, "Jesus Christ, Paul, they hate you more than they hate me," and uh, <laughs> he was quite he was quite okay with that, I think as well. But um, yeah. The no, I mean, look, I, I think we came with the territory, Tony, and it got to the stage all right in the end because it got a bit, you know, it got a bit out and about, it got a bit not that it was a bit tricky at times out and about. So, I, I eventually, I just said, you know, it's time to get back to Kerry because because there was a likelihood that we'd keep meeting each other, and I just didn't feel Cork was the right place for me. So, I, yeah. but I, 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 I love Cork and I still do, and I, I, I'm not overly surprised, like you know, that I wasn't flavoured a month as such because my way on the field back then, like, was yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of it was definitely rough and feathers, and yeah, I didn't care about that really because we were going to be it was either us or Cork winning all Ireland's around the time we were the top two teams, and uh, that was very important to me on a personal level it was very important like that that team that I was on at that time at that stage weren't getting beaten by Cork you know yeah a couple of things I wanted to throw at you do you remember what you said in the dressing room in Crow Park after the 2007 All-Ireland final against Cork yeah what'd you say well, I, I said, I think I felt that it was, you know, a very, it was a hugely important game from the point of view of Kerry's overall 100 years of tradition would have been, you know, would have been affected, I think, like, and and it would have been on our on our watch, like, you know, that you, you couldn't, that was a big motivation for me, like, you know, that you would uh, go in there and be mindful of the fact that you couldn't really allow, like you couldn't, you couldn't allow a defeat really in that circumstance because it would be remembered for a long, long time. Yeah, losing to Cork in an All Ireland final. Yeah, it was the first time ever that would have never been forgotten. And uh, but I, I was better like that. Look at Camir. I don't know how many other players thought that way. I felt that way because I was better with those kind of stakes. I was comfortable with that kind of thinking and that kind of pressure. I needed pressure 
uh, to keep me focused, I felt, and that was my feel on it. Like, and I, I suppose uh, I, I do have a lot of, I do read, I do study the game a lot and the history of the game a lot, and I'm very aware of Kerry's history, and as we probably all are, really. And you know, I do think it's a good thing to know it and to be aware of it and to protect it at certain times. Like, mm. um, I think that's a good benchmark for any player. So, but here's the here's the thing, I think you'd have thrived in that Kerry team last September the 1st in Crow Park because it must and should have been a monstrous incentive for any Kerry player not to allow Dublin to be the first county to do the five in a row. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I think as, as a supporter, as a, as a spectator, as a supporter, it was... Uh, it was one I felt a little bit like, you know, uh, I felt it almost like as a player in that it was definitely a seminal moment. It was a big moment in the history of the game and and the records of the game and that. So I would have, I certainly as a spectator, I felt that morning and that day and that week, I felt this is a big one now, like, you know, and what better motivation, honestly, you know, but look at you, you, you were meeting up, you were, you were coming against the machine there, really, that was so well oiled that and they had so many options probably which was decisive in the end was the amount of good good options they had to change their to change their tack a little bit very smart outfit and they're doing things from a coaching point of view that I think were actually decisive on the day and that they, they were able to manufacture and engineer things a little bit for for scores at times that close games like the drawing game particularly come down to that bit of engineering and they were they were so you have to give them every credit but yeah it would have been in a, it was a big moment and I think yeah I don't know I can't I don't know what the boys on the inside were like sure obviously they were aware of it and their young side as well so you know you you mightn't be heaping that on them it's probably more for an older guy at, at 2007 I was in my late 20s I was well able for that kind of that kind of pressure as such like not that I yeah. more than motivation I found it, but it could be pressure for a younger guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Going back to, to the Noel O'Leary, uh, they Cork won the All Ireland, um, Paul, in two thousand and ten. And ironically, and you can dispute me on it, I do think that that's probably the year. Was that your finest ever I was gonna say your finest ever hour, but if you remember the game went to extra time down in Parky Cueve. I thought I don't know what age you were 10 years ago. That was 2010, I'm pretty sure. So to take 10 years from yeah. what you are now, was yeah. that your finest ever performance, even though it didn't ultimately lead to an All-Ireland? It led to victory that day. But I thought that was probably your best ever 90 minutes in a Kerry jersey. Um, well, I suppose the thing about that game, Tony, was I didn't play the full game. I only came on. I, I didn't start the game. I came on no. in both of those games. I, the replay was in Killarney and I played the last 20 minutes of that. And then I came on, I think just before half time, I'd say in the replay in Cork. And so I don't know. I, I, I certainly felt, I knew what I was about that day actually. And I, I knew that, yeah, I had, my own, I, I had a lot of personal motivation that day. And I suppose yeah, it was probably the height of that rivalry, I'd say, maybe. That 10, 2010 was probably the height of that rivalry. You look at after that, it fizzled out a little bit after that. I think that was probably mm -hmm. the peak of the rivalry, though, over those two games. And uh, I was 30, good age, 
and I knew I knew what I was about at that stage of the that stage of the game. But mm. uh, I would feel, to be honest with you, I would feel probably 2012 as a year was probably the year I played my best football for Kerry actually. But that stuff you probably don't. That stuff gets lost when you don't win all Ireland's and that. But I would feel consistently yeah. at, at 2012. Consi- I was at my best probably most consistently. Like again, and I recall as well by that t- stage in your career, Paul, 2009, 2010, 2012, you were actually one of the best kickers on the team. I mean, when you know, when Kerry were working that diagonal stuff, you know, more often than not, like the ball was in your hand. But I mean, I remember you earlier, and I would have put you down as well, I'm not being disparaging, but I wouldn't have put you down as a very good kicker of the ball. Would you agree that it was a part of your game? that turned you from a good competitive player into an extremely good footballer? Um, yeah, I think I think there came a point for sure and it came a point where I knew I had to improve on the ball. And, you know, you learn that from your teammates and I was in, and you learn it on the training ground, you know, and like you're not delivering for guys like Gooch or like Declan or like Johnny Crowley and all the guys. I started off with guys like, I'm really more of an old school guy, Johnny Crowley and Liam Hassett and, Mike Frank inside, like so, but, but particularly say Gooch, like you're not delivering for these players. You know about it, and you know that you know your level. And I would have been, to be honest with Johnny, I always had a good ability to pass the ball. But when you go into senior, into county level, there's a there's a composure aspect that comes into play, and the game is a bit faster. And so I knew I had the technique to pass, and I knew I had I had ability to pass, but I had to I had to talk I had to talk myself I had to talk myself down a little bit into c- being more comfortable with the ball, knowing I can deliver a pass, and I had to practice as well. Then I did, and I did, and the composure came through practice. Really, composure on the ball came through practice, and this is a big thing I was would speak about to players a lot, and and in Wexford particularly, this idea of practice. Football is a game of practice, and so I went off and practiced wall after wall went to the field and practiced. I practiced and practiced and I got better at passing the ball and that's what happens. And if more footballers practiced, I think football would be a better game. But footballers don't tend to practice. I thought you were um really uh, descriptive and on the money of on Colum Cooper in your book. Um in terms of playing and you know you talk about practicing with him like he would be your you know your arch exponent of a guy who practiced 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 I'd say you must have loved not just playing in big games with him but in empty stadiums in Killarney on a summer's night working with him in in a forward line seeing and enjoying his movement and you being the student of the game that you are yeah I did honest to god I really did I, I felt I felt besides Jack probably besides Jack he's the guy I learned more I almost learned as much on the training ground looking at him. And I learned mm-hmm. a lot from Jack now, I must say. Jack Jack, Jack taught me a lot. Jack was brilliant when he, he was brilliant with me. But I learned as much almost from Gooch. And I do think footballers don't realise and should look more to their teammates for, 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 for learnings and teachings, you know, because on the training ground, you look around, what's he good at? Why is he good at it? What makes him good? Can I get better at that? You know, so much there's so much information on the training ground if you look around and, 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 and are open to it but I sometimes look you have some teammates that are just of a level and you think that's 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 amazing to train with you know I remember him hitting a pass in foot actually a couple of years ago in a training game he pulled the pass out of the bag across the, across the goal it was like a crossing soccer you never see that in the game you know you just mm-hmm. go whoa no one ever does that 
it was like a cross into the box and Darren was coming in and Darren got a hand to it and might have just gone wide but like you just think you never see that in the game you know it's so, so yeah. exciting when you see it so you do and these fellas bring you up very quickly and I was awful lucky because you see I, you know you talk, fellas taught me about footballers and they think what was Gooch like what was Dara like and I think I say okay will you ever understand watching Dara go up into the air and catch a kick out and the person will say yeah and I said, how did you feel when you saw that catch? And the person will say, incredible. I had goosebumps. I was up out of my seat, roaring. It was an amazing catch. And I said, no, can you imagine if you were standing under that catch, looking up at it? How would that feel? And I said, I can tell you that's a feeling of power. That's a feeling of motivation and inspiration. Mm. That's, that's what it felt like to play with these guys. So mm. whatever it felt like for you in the stand, it felt better for me to be on the pitch beside it looking up at it or looking around at it you know so you know I was I, I, I was that was my big motivation really for Kerry was those opportunities to see these guys play Jesus mm. Christ you do you do you you just do the max you can to give guys like that the platform that they need yeah. that's what football well, should be about giving great players opportunity to play you know I I I had Seamus Moynihan, Paul, on one of these chats, uh, I suppose it's pre-lockdown now. And I was surprised actually with his answer because I asked him that very same question. I said, if you were to walk down Mean Street in a bad neighbourhood with one colleague that you played football with over the years, who would it be? And I thought he might fudge it, you know, but he didn't. Straight away, he actually said Darashay. And I says, why? And he says, because... He was a guy when we needed him in big moments, you know, he was there, he delivered, whether it was a catch, pulling something under the crossbar, scalping a fella, sorting somebody out. So if you're walking down a nasty neighbourhood and you needed one of those old soldiers with you, who are you bringing? Yeah, it's hard to look, it's hard to look past him from that point of view. Um, I tell you, a guy I had a huge amount of time for as a teammate, was uh, William Kirby actually? I, I, mm. I had a real, I had a really, and it's funny about you know you look at Kerry football and we we you think of the Kerry number eight being the you know big tradition of great number eights you know but we still haven't figured out our number nines you know and I, I think the number nine is almost more important to Kerry at the minute than the number eight position like and you need your number nines like and Kirby was a guy I loved playing with I, I had a lot of edge a lot of physicality he was smart he did things that were needed. He he did, you know, he was that's that type that the Kerry team needs at number nine. You look back at the number nines like Ambrose and Shawnee and uh, later on, Donald Day. James Scanlon. Shane Scanlon, those guys, invaluable. They were the types I loved. And like, Kerry had a bit of streets had a bit of street smarts as well like and he was just very edgy and he knew how to impose himself and he could feel the game a bit as well and so I think Kirby would be a guy if I was on an alleyway now he might be somebody I'd be looking for that position is a key position for Kerry football always has been and it's one that we don't I don't think we think about enough at times you know because it's a one mm. that it's a one that you need for balance in a team you know um, did you did you ever see um, Paul the film Legends of the Fall do you remember Brad Pitt, no, kind of old, old American kind of movie. Guy lost his way, like, but there was a great script at the end, and it was, you know, about like that. By the time he'd got to his forties, 
you know, that the bear had left him. You know, he was this wild child. I mean, and you know where I'm going with this. I often used to look at it and think, because he had the exact same beard, by the way, that you have now, by the time he was killed by this bear in the woods. The bear is gone from Paul Galvin. Was that going to happen anyway? Or did marriage and becoming a dad just change your perspective? I know you're still competitive, but in terms of, you know, how you've changed as an individual, do you ever, on those long journeys, think about that? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, Tony. I, I, it's been put to me like it gets put to me at times and that I think, look, definitely there's no doubt marriage, I think is a, a certainly universally, I think is a kind of a time where you go, all right, okay. And I'm not a settler as such, like to be honest with you as a person, I'm not that settled a person. I, I have a kind of a nomadic streak in me and I like to be on, I like being on the move and I need to be on the move. So, so I, I I do absolutely think, like, you know, my wife, meeting my wife was a big time, big moment for me. Getting married, I think, is a thing in any man's life. Do you say, okay, look, it's time to settle down a bit now. But look, like, you, you, you look back as well at the, the, the trouble times and the kind of hassle, and you just, you say, I just don't want any more hassle in my life. It's part of it, <laughs> like, honest to God. Do you know? Because, I mean, it was, it was, it was a we- on a weekly basis almost at one point, and... That becomes a thing where you just go, okay, like what kind of a person do you want to be and how, how do you want to be regarded? Like, you know, you probably have to become more aware of more, you become more aware of yourself, I think, with age, you know, and like, you know, business as well. Then I mean, my work has been hugely rewarding for me, honestly, it has had a big effect on me as well. Honestly, the, the what I do with Duns, that creative outlet, learning about business, dealing with dealing with people in our own boardroom, our own shareholders of Duns, dealing with buyers, dealing with teams of people, which was huge. Actually, a big part of going to Wexford too was the experience I had in terms of working with four or five different departments, reporting to shareholders. Uh, that, that aspect of working life has been very, very good for me. Mm. And um, that has been just, yeah, I do think that's been a part. Obviously, marriage and family and my little girl has become like, you know, becoming a father is a new, it's a new thing that you just haven't time, you, you just don't have as much time to be kind of <laughs> getting involved in silly stuff like, you know. Yeah, I, I, myself and my darling wife often say we're, we were so busy and so crazy that we don't even remember our first two kids kind of actually, you know, we don't remember the, the baby phases, the baby stages. And I think, you know, I mean, that's important. I mean, and you my, know, you, the first five my, years could pass you by. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and, uh, you know, and my book, Tony, right? My book as well was a big, a big thing in my life, actually. It, it, yeah. it, it actually was the first time ever because, you see, my whole career, really, I, for playing career, I had no relationships. I had no relationships with people, really, bar my teammates. They were the relationships I had, and they were only the relationships I cared about, really. Like, even my family, like, I had no, I hadn't really a whole very normal relationship with my family because I was just so consumed by Kerry. And, you know, it was when I, I think writing my book was a moment as well where I sat back and said, wow, that was, that was a lot. I was probably a lot, it was a lot for people around me as well. And, okay, you won a bit, but like, you have to examine the other stuff as well. And and you have to be honest with yourself and say, Jesus, you 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 fairly, you know, you you fairly turned that upside down while you were at it, you know. So you you get a new stage of life, then you think like, you know, 
think of other people around you like as well, which I didn't do a lot as a player, to be honest with you. Yeah, who was the who was the colleague again, Paul? I, I have this story. I remember you told me that I thought it was very enlightening. I don't know whether it was you or him. Were you afraid of water? And you took a deep dive on some hot team yeah, we were, trip. Yeah, we were on holidays in Jamaica with Kerry, and I I I, I see there was a cliff jump, and uh, it was a big. I don't know, 25, 20 or twenty five meters. But Seamus Scanlon went off it one day anyway, and didn't he sit? He, he sat into the landing anyway. He landed and he he landed in his his arse and he he was black and blue for days after it. But he I went back and I did that dive because I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep thinking about it and I said I have to do that. But I'm I'm not the best swimmer. But I was told Star I was going anyway. And he says, "Can you swim?" And I says, "I can't." And he says, "Oh, are you going? What are you going jumping off that for if you can't swim?" <laughs> I just want to do it, man. I just want to jump off and see what it's like because it'll be a good buzz. And these are the things I like. I do find if I see anything adventure related or kind of risk related around me, I kind of get drawn to it. But anyway, I went and jumped off. Donnie went off first off the cliff and and um, he waited for me. I went down then. Brilliant buzz, like. Yeah. So, that, 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 but that was, yeah, that was him, like. He'd be a carer, like. Donnie, he was a, Donnie, he was a carer. I, I think great footballers are carers, like, you know. I think great uh, yeah, footballers they, care the most. Yeah, but they, no, no, the key lesson for me out of that story, um, and it, I, I remember now why it, it, it registered with me at the time because there's a there's a water park in Portugal that uh, I used to go to, and there was a particular ride on it called the Banzai, and I'd say I was looking at it for three summers, and it it it, it used to just crack me up to leave the water park every year, and I didn't do it, and I said to yeah. myself, it it actually used to consume me for days afterwards, yeah, until one time. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't let it go. And I remember when you told me that story, I was saying to myself, yeah, that was probably driving you mad No, one yeah. night. You have to do that. That night, that night, I said, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So the next morning, I, I said, I went right back. The very next morning. The minute, the minute I woke, I went right back. And I just jumped in. And uh, <laughs> that was that. And Donny, he was in before me. But like, um, yeah. I, I, and I did actually make a decision after I did that jump, you know, I made a decision. That I was going to get out of teaching. Really? I did. I did. I, I, I did that jump and I said, I'm going to live my rest of my life on my own terms completely if I can, if I can. Not an easy thing to achieve. But um, when I came out of the water, I said, right. Because it had been in my mind anyway for a year probably that I needed to do what I'm doing now because I had been looking at menswear for many a year and I felt there was a lack of meaning in menswear. And I felt it was not, menswear was being underserved and, and, it wasn't saying or doing or, or, or didn't mean enough. And it was in my head for a long time. And then the, that jump was said, right, I'm going to go. I'm going to take another leave now when I get back to Ireland. I did. You were never, I don't think you were ever actually really cut out for teaching long term, Paul. <laughs> Listen, is it, I know, here's me now, this is a real name drop. Was it Paul Galvin or Michael Fassbender? Did you actually kind of hang yourself off the roof in a classroom and the kids were all below you? Was that off you? A beam, off a beam, in the, yeah, off a beam, yeah. There were steel beams in the sun. I climbed up it. I was doing all sorts of stuff. I would have done, I was so obsessed with football at the start. I would have done all my stretching Tuesday and Thursday, last 10 minutes of class, get my stretching done for training. Uh, a lot of hand passing around the room. I'd get my eye in, I'd keep the ball in the wardrobe. And sure the boys loved it. They're all football mad anyway, most of them. And it was always yeah. good distraction as well, you know, like, because you can't, you know, you have to keep 
So I would have done a lot of that. I did. I climbed up. I, I hung off a beam all right over their heads, and they didn't see me. And just came out. Of the, I came out of the ceiling like like, like Spider Man. <laughs> they said, what because did I? I actually think, Paul. I actually think Fastbender. I I heard a story that he did something similar to a teacher when he was a student in the same. That he yeah. actually and, and I don't want to libel the, the man no like, but I actually think he kind of hung off the rafters. So obviously that was something that you could do in the classrooms in the same. Uh, like you know, I don't know if you could or you couldn't, but I did it anyway. But I, 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 I suppose it was a sign of the time. It was a sign of the fact that I was getting very frustrated with teaching, and I was kind of like, I went out the window another day. I uh, went out the back window and around the thing. Like, uh, where there was a window near. I was near the entrance to the building, and I went out the window and in the entrance, back in the door to the top of the classroom, and like. Just for fun, like you know, first year, second year, third years have an amazing sense of fun. Boys that age have such a great sense of fun, and actually yeah. they, they learn better if they see this kind of thing. Like they like they they love it, and they, I found they loved it. I found it helped it helped teaching actually. Yeah, I used yeah. To hide, I used to hide in the wardrobe in them a bit, go into the wardrobe, come with the day all come in and sit down. I come out of the wardrobe, right? Boys, books, bags, <laughs> copies. <laughs> you still keep the notebook near at hand when you see a word that you really love, and you say. I'm going to write that one down. Yeah, I do. I, if you see behind my iPad here now is my whiteboard and I have a lot of stuff written down there now, different uh, notes for note-taking and just for my jobs, lists that I get my jobs done or whatever, but a lot of language that I would lean on. Like, you know, language is a big part of my life. Words, language, I'm a huge believer in. Uh, listen, I don't need to tell you, you know what I mean? That's why I admire, I admire journalism and publishing and I regard what I do with Dunn Stores as a form of publishing, through, just through clothes. But I think words and language and the power of them when you examine them is a lot of problem solving and discovery to be had, you know? I have to say, I, and I remember you did begin to dabble in it very briefly. I think if you didn't go the route you went, I think you potentially would have finished up writing as a career, whether that was journalism or creative writing. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think so, and I think I think I may again. And I think uh, it's actually no more than the coaching aspect. I just go on intuitions really a lot in life, and the coaching thing was an intuition whereby I wanted to explore these ideas in the game and get them out of my head, find out do they work, do they not work. And writing is another one where I just I feel the need to do it, same as I felt that need to go and do that with Wexford. I feel the need to talk about Harry Boland, one of the great GA figures who's probably not regarded as a GA figure at all. Mm. But, you know, funny enough, he was central to the carry going to the Wexford thing. He became a factor in that whole Wexford thing as well because I'm reading a lot about Harry Boland. The next thing I see Harry Boland plays in the All-Ireland Hurling Final for Dublin 1907, chairman of Dublin County Board in 1911, referees the Kerry-Wexford All-Ireland Football Final 1914, drawn game. Dick Fitzgerald of Fitzgerald Stadium kicks the equaliser in the last, last minute. Kerry win the replay. Harry Boland's the referee. He then goes and manages UCD Collegians to the 1917 All-Ireland Hurling title. But that Harry Boland refereeing Kerry-Wexford All-Ireland Final was around the time I was kind of deciding whether I would do that or not. And I loved all the feelings and all the associations around it, you know. But I do feel the need to, like, yeah, write and discover and research. And mm. the done stuff is all about that. And I felt, I, I, the coaching stuff is too. I feel the same code. It's like the same code almost. So writing, 
I do think it's central. It's central to me. Like, and I, uh, I probably don't do enough of it. To be very honest with you, I'm not. I'm not doing enough of it at the moment. Well, come here. If uh, there was a few more Paul Galvins in the GA, my God, we'd have an interesting. We'd have an well, interesting. interesting. It's getting more interesting. I think. Like, I, I think it's getting more interesting. Like, and I think the younger there's younger guys coming up now. They think might be might add a bit of color to the game. You know. Yeah, I must ask you. What's your perception from afar, or I don't know how afar you are, on David Clifford? Um, like, you know, they're already putting him up on, on Mount Rushmore. I mean, well, like, what's your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are, I'm sorry, I missed him in the same. I was a couple of years yeah. in the same, and I had James O'Donoghue and um, Fionn and John Lyon and a couple, five or six of them that came through, but I, I was gone by the time he came through, like, sure. I mean, my my perception is the same as everybody else is really Tony. Like you, you'd have you can only admire him as a footballer. I think the lockdown has been good for him. It looks like he's physically looks like he's put on a layer of muscle. Shawnee O'Shea the same. So I think lockdown would have helped him. I think uh, you'd be very proud watching him as a player. Like you'd, you know, it's just great that we can produce these guys. And then he's so similar in ways to Morris, and he's so similar in ways to Gooch. And you just can't, you just can't ignore the culture of counties. And like, it's amazing to see this kind of production line of this kind of talent so similar to Morris. It's kind, you know, it's, it's a Gooch in him as well. Like, and you just say, I, I'm just delighted we can produce these types of guys. You know, but mm. he he makes you know watching him from afar. Because the Kerry team now is none of my business no more than the Mayo team is. I have my own learnings and 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 and, and reflections to be doing, Tony. But um, like from afar, I'd say like even and this is more as much with East Kerry as anything. But you know he makes the difficult look easy, and you'd mm. say to yourself, you'd like to maybe see it get a little bit easier from from the point of view that he he'll get possession and his man will tend to be still in the picture. And you know it's a hop and a soul, and he's got to beat his man still. I, I I would just look at it from a point of view of a wing forward or someone supplying him. Uh, as a player myself, like if I put a pass inside to somebody, Gooch, Star, whoever, I'd be disappointed in myself if the if the cornerback or the fullback was still in the picture after the pass. Yeah, you you try to take somebody out if you can, and I suppose there's loads of reasons like for that. And we will say he's you know he's in that year three as well. I think he's year three now. Is he year two or three? He's actually year three, you know, because he was he played in Eamon's last season. Yeah, year three, you know, it's a big one for him because I found as a player, year one and two, find your year one, it's all new, you're all energy. Year two, you're kind of finding your feet, you're all you're still all energy and you're a small bit of craft, a small bit extra craft. Year three, your energy plus the craft plus the know-how and you you year three is a big one. I think he's shown the signs that he's now getting even more comfortable at this level. And when the team settles down around him, like the 10 probably he's a bit unfamiliar around him at times. But, you know, he probably needs the 10 and 12 spots now to settle down and the, the forward unit to settle down a little bit for him. Um, I think that will help mm. him in terms of his movements and getting getting um, that chemistry with guys outside him because 11 probably wouldn't find him a lot. Sean, he probably wouldn't find him a lot, but those those wingmen would be would be big in the supply line. It looks like that those spots are settling down as well. But like you look at the likes of Dean Rock, or Conor McManus getting possession in her own goal. The very few, very few plays and they're gone. It's shot, it's almost shot on goal immediately where the the passing from the outside in is kind of doing the damage and he's just finishing. Yeah. I think, I think for him, you know, when he gets old, especially when he gets older, 
having to take those plays and take guys on. It can take it can take a toll. Eventually, guys can start to get a hold of you and get hits on you and get throw a block on you. And you know, that's my only observation with him. Like you know, I think it's a it's a combination of uh, the team, the team settling and his own game developing in that. And mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. I mean, we, you spoke about the football community in London. I'm intrigued. You're living in in a very passionate football community now in Mayo. And I just wonder what's your take, not, not just on the Mayo team. I'm less interested in that at the moment and more just on the Mayo football psyche. Uh, I suppose, look, at, I, I, I'd be very mindful of the fact that <laughs> I have to walk down the streets of Mayo at the, yeah. uh, these days. So, look, at, I, I, I suppose, what do I say? I don't know. They are they are like staunch supporters and they they, they do love their football. I, I I haven't been exposed to the club scene here, and I think you can only understand the county's footballing culture if you're kind of if you've been at club games, watching regularly club games. I do believe that. I believe Kerry's footballing culture is one thing. Wexford is another. Cork's is another. Dublin's another. And Mayo's is another. So I haven't seen enough football to understand really what they're about in a football from a footballing point of view. From the point of view of the public, as an observer, you'd see things that would maybe confuse you a little bit. Like I remember, we'll say league games. Like I, I often, I often got more disappointed and more hurt from losing a league game, or not more, but as much from losing a league game at home than I did as I did in All Ireland final. And and that's not I'm not I'm not overstating that now. I remember twice losing league games. We may have lost a few more. We didn't lose too many. I would say two, maybe three. One was against Armagh and Tralee, and I, I was I was just devastated. I went off the field. I think winning at home is is big. And I remember Dublin beating us today. Jack's father, Jack Connor's father, passed away, and Dublin beat us in the league game. And like they stayed with me, and they still they still remain with me. And then you see, we'll say as an observer, me or and the Mayo support and how good they are. And they're obviously passionate, but then you'd wonder, are they too passionate? And you see after a league game, for instance, you'd see things like the invasions onto the pitch after a league game. But I've seen that's positive, of course, it's good for young people, it's good for young support, it's good for morale. And you could argue at the same time, for a team on a mission as Mayo are, right? And you lose a league game. I just, sometimes I'm confused when I see they lose a league game, and their supporters onto the pitch getting autographs off players, and some players, not all players, and are surrounded for autographs. And I don't know. I just think losing at home in league football, I was always a huge believer in. You can win your mm. All Ireland. You can win your All Ireland during the league. You can win. I'm a believer in that. You can win your All Ireland during the league. And I just think losing league games at home is a big thing. It's a big marker. It's a big pointer. I, I'd be in. I'd be straight in the shower, and I'd be asking myself some hard questions. You know. As a yeah. as a footballer, and I think I think surrounding I think especially you lose you lose that practice always has confused me about male football. Uh, yeah. If you if you lose, I, win or lose, I think I'd stop that practice, and that's not an issue for any manager or player or James Horn or anybody else, but it's one for the great the wider male public. I think maybe yeah that feeds in in a way to how they relate to the team, how the team relate to the support, and how the team relate to success and winning all Ireland. Maybe uh, merely an observation. Yeah, and maybe, observation. how can I put this? Uh, they're t- they talk an awful lot, and they've been hu- very, very close. And I, I actually feel at times, do they actually almost talk too much about football? I mean, I, do you understand my question? Even 
Um, yeah, no, I do. I'll put it to this way. Look, at if you if you were to compare a Kerry person and a, and a Mayo person, in my experience, probably uh, a Kerry person. You talk to a Kerry person, and the Kerry person goes, right, right, go on. And why do you say that now? And you know, you know what I mean. They're a bit more reticent, whereas the Mayo person is probably more talkative and more expressive and more outgoing. And maybe you're talking and he's talking and you're talking. We're all talking. You know that kind of way. I know exactly. Well, I wonder if the culture of the county, you know, it's funny that sometimes you look at the games they've played and the games they've lost and you see kind of patterns and you think, is anybody stopping and listening and examining? And just is that just the county's makeup that they they, they kind of, they're sprinters maybe, you know, that kind of way? And this kind of, everything's 100 miles an hour. And I do think listening is a big thing. We spoke about it earlier, like a good footballer, is a good listener and and uh, you know listening is a in itself i think is a part to play in, in, in success of in, in any in any field be it football or business or whatever it might be you have to be a good listener and sometimes i wonder if it's linked to listening in that you know like who's examining the games who's examining the reasons maybe for a defeat the course the course stuff drives me mad to be quite honest with you the course stuff drives me mad like you hear way too much about that for my liking, do you know what I mean? And I think there's a good bit of belief in the thing. Like, I think there's a bit of, I think there's a bit of belief in that, being cursed in that, you know, which, 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 if it was the case, it could probably stop you from maybe looking into the nuts and bolts of games and performances and losses and that kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Paul, great chat. Always good to meet and chat to you. Mind yourself. Only a pleasure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 